fancy ones that uses the the internet or anything it just kind of wirelessly gives us a little video feed so we can see when she's sleeping in an odd position uh, but it also gives me kind of an insight into her little baby mind in life uh, because she doesn't know that we can see her all the time it, she she can't quite process that uh, that we have the ability to push a little button on the monitor and it's got a little microphone and we can talk into it and our voice will come out of the little thing that's hanging over her bed and anytime she does it's almost like you know can you if you could imagine like if God were to open the heavens and speak to you she can hear our voice and she recognizes it but she has no idea where we are she doesn't see us she doesn't know what's happening it actually freaks her out more than it helps her so we don't generally use it right but we could we we could we could speak if are you seeing all the parallels here we could speak if we wanted to but if we do it actually freaks her out more than it comforts her so we don't uh but we can see her all the time that we have it sitting beside our our bed at night so that if in the middle of the night she grunts or has a dream. You know, there have been nights in the middle of the night where all of a sudden we just hear her go, No! And you roll over and you hit the little button and you look and you squint because you've been asleep. You hear her go, No! And she's sitting up, eyes closed, just going, No! No! She's dreaming, but she's doing something. She has no idea we can see this. But we do. And then she wakes up and she... She realizes she's alone. She goes, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. And she's screaming, she's yelling. And, and then guess what? We can, we can hear her then too. And sometimes we're like, she just needs to calm down and go back to sleep. She's fine. But if she's ever been sick, you know, you can, you can wake up, you can tell she's sick. You can tell something's wrong because she wakes up and it's not the, the, the hysterical Mommy, Daddy, I've woken up and it's in the dark and then I go back to sleep anymore. It's... The cry is different. You can tell that she doesn't feel well. And then you know what happens? We get up and we go in and she looks at you with this look of shock on her face like, how did you know? And the reality is, it's like, baby, I, I know all of this. I've seen you the whole time. You just didn't see me. Do you know that God functions the exact same way. There are some times that we cry out to Him that in reality He knows they're fine. They're fine. I'm watching, I'm monitoring, but all they need to do is just calm down. They're fine. And so, we calm down. There are times that we cry out and we're sick that God responds, but there's never a time that God doesn't see us and there's never a time that God doesn't know every single detail of what's going on. Even the times when His kids are fine, but they just find themselves in an odd position. He knows that. So we're going to look at a passage in Revelation today that shows just how much God cares about His kids. So, if you'll stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 8, 1 through 6. When he opened the seventh seal, 
There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Father, I pray that at the end of this message, we would value prayer a lot more because we know you're up there listening and waiting on it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I just want to call this sermon the precedence of prayer. Now, do, do we as Christians often give prayer the precedence it deserves? We don't. In fact, I've brought this up before. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, okay? I'm not preaching at you that I'm, I'm saying this, this applies to all of us. Has anybody ever asked you what so, something they could do for you? And your response is, I don't know, I guess just pray. That's like, well, I've gone through the checklist of other things you could do in my brain, and I can't think of any of them, so I guess the only thing left to do is pray. When really, prayer ought to be the, it ought to be the top of the list. That ought to be the first thing. Because there's no, there's no more powerful force in the universe we have access to than the red phone to our dad. That's, that's the most powerful thing Christians have. Satan would rather Christians have packed churches and lists of ministries 15 miles long that they do in their own strength than to have five people in a room fervently praying. He would much rather have that. But when Christians start praying, that, that, that's when stuff starts happening. We don't often give prayer the precedence it deserves, but God does. God cares quite a lot about prayer. He cares quite a lot about his children praying. So I want us to look first at that, that prayer is of prime importance to God. Look at the first two verses. When he opened the seventh seal, now who is this he? We've been opening seals for several weeks now. This is Jesus. And this is the the scroll that he's opening uh, is the title deed to earth. Um, All of creation. He's taking possession of it. Uh, he opened the seventh seal out of seven. This is the last one. He opens the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, two things happen, having read this, two things happen when Jesus breaks the seventh seal. The first one is that there is silence in heaven, and that's the big deal. We're going to spend the majority of today talking about that. And silence is for a half an hour. Have you ever been standing in front? Have, have, have any of y'all ever had the privilege to stand in front of a crowd and speak? Any of y'all ever done it? Yeah? Okay. Have you ever tried to lighten the mood by telling a joke? Yes. Have you ever tried to lighten the mood by telling a joke and nobody laughs? Have you ever tried to do that? Yes, I see those hands. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, <clears throat> when you tell a joke and nobody laughs, usually the quickest thing you do, what you try and do next is you move on to the next thing you have to say as quickly as possible because those five seconds of dead silence feel like an eternity, don't they? 
You know, maybe or or maybe don't even think about standing in front of a crowd. Thinking about think about having a conversation with somebody you really care about and you tell them something and you really want their response and they're just kind of quiet and you get antsy and you're like, Come on, spit it out. I need to hear. That it's not it, it's silence is not comfortable in that span of time, is it? That you're ready for something to be going on. What if that silence lasted for 30 minutes. 30 minutes, y'all, is a long time. We're an impatient culture. We're microwaves. We're not crockpots. That's why, that's why McDonald's makes billions of dollars. Because you pull through the drive-thru and you order a burger and two minutes later you have it on a good day. <laughs> And most of the time it's right. <laughs> Sometimes, possibly. 30 minutes. How many of y'all you would go to McDonald's if you ordered a burger and you had to wait for 30 minutes to get it? That defeats the purpose of McDonald's, doesn't it? Then it's slow food. 30 minutes is a lot longer than we typically give it. Well, silent, the silence in heaven lasts for 30 minutes. It lasts for half an hour. And then there are seven angels who are given trumpets. This is of secondary importance for now. We're going to talk more about these seven angels next week. Now, I don't typically like to go dip back into passages we've already studied, but these guys just kind of make their appearance on stage at this point. They don't do much of anything yet. They're going to start doing things next week. So we're going to come back here and we're going to look at them again. Um, but I want you to consider this. Then in Revelation 4, 8, John tells us this. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying that there's a song that John shows us has been being sung in heaven, it seems like from eternity past, ever since God created these angels. Because angels, by the way, y'all know, they're not eternal. Angels were created. Only God is eternal. Ever since God created these angels, it seems like these four living creatures have been singing this song. And when you look back in Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 8, they sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it says they don't rest day or night saying that. That they've been doing this constantly. That it's the backdrop of everything else that John has been telling us has been going on in heaven this whole time. Unless they're singing something else, they've been singing this. See, we think of reverence as quiet and calm. Y'all, heaven is anything but a quiet, calm place. Heaven is constantly filled with song. It's constantly filled with worship. Heaven is loud. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I like loud worship. You will when you get there. <laughs> you will when you get there. Heaven's loud. In Revelation 7, 9 through 12, how about this? After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, which obviously a group that, that large can't be quiet, can they? If they say anything together, even if they whisper, it's going to be a loud whisper. They can't be quiet. 
A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces and worshipped God. That There's been the song of the four living creatures and then now all of a sudden you've got this group that's so big that nobody can number and they're crying with a loud voice and they're singing a song. And then the angels and the, the elders, they join in and they start singing. And it's this growing crescendo of louder and louder and bigger and bigger and more and more and more worship and then Jesus pulls the seventh seal and it's dead quiet. Now I read another commentator who doesn't take the silences literally. He said, oh, it can't be literal because John says that the four living creatures say constantly day and night. I'm like, yeah, well, boss man, John also said it was silent, didn't he? <coughs> take, take both of them equally. The silence is what gets John's attention. Because John has noticed ever since he got there, there's this constant drumbeat of worship. It doesn't stop that this worship, this uh, magnification of God, John's just immersed in it. Ever since he set foot in heaven, that has been what he noticed. And then all of a sudden, there's silence. It all stops. The classic line in suspense movies, it's quiet. Too quiet. That it makes you feel like something's different. And it is. Jesus has just opened the seventh seal. There, is no, there are no longer any seals on the title deed to earth and Jesus is holding it. That it's, it's open. And heaven's quiet. Why is it quiet? You know, I read multiple commentaries this week and there were guys saying this and guys saying this. So there, there is many different opinions as there were commentators, but I'm a pretty simple guy. I tend to think that when the Bible says something and, and it says several things in order, the order has a reason. So when John tells me that it's silent in heaven, he's probably about to tell me why. And first you see that the angels are being given the trumpets. But then, we've already looked and seen what's going to happen next, haven't we? Prayers of the saints are mixed with incense and put on the altar. Y'all, heaven shut down so that God could hear His kids pray. It shut down. God said, angels, I know you have been singing since the dawn of time, but I need you to stop for a minute. My kids need to talk to me. Elders, I've given you positions of honor, but you need to wait for a minute. Great crowds who have come out of the tribulation and washed your robes white in the blood of the Lamb. I love your worship. But you've got, you've got brothers and sisters on earth who have things to talk to me about. God puts everything else on hold to hear us. Now, 
how do you even apply that? What application do you make? Here's your application. Your prayers are important to God. Now that's important to say because we don't often treat our prayers as important as they are. When Jesus goes, this this hitting on your, your handout, I probably should have put it there. But do you remember the, the, the passage where Jesus goes into the temple and he's infuriated because they've turned the money changers have set up their tables and they're selling the doves and the, the, the offerings and they're 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 jacking up the exchange rate and Jesus goes in with a cat of nine tails and starts flipping over tables and saying what what was his complaint? That my house is to be a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. That the most important activity that goes on in God's house, and by the way, remember, this building is not God's house. In the New Testament, the people are God's house. That Stapleton Baptist Church is not this building, it is these people. Okay? So the most important thing that happens in God's house, the most important thing that happens in God's people is prayer. That's what we're to be defined by. But when you stop and you look at the rhythms of our daily life, again, not preaching at you, uh, this is preaching at me too. When you look at the rhythms of our daily life, do we impart the same importance to prayer that God does? God is willing to shut down the worship of heaven to hear us. Are we willing to shut down everything to speak to Him? God counts prayer as important. God shut down the entirety of heavenly activity for half an hour just to give His undivided attention to the prayers of His children. Have you ever not prayed because you felt like God didn't care? Don't lie. You can get yourself in such a dark spot. You can get yourself in such a dark spot. You can just find... You can. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. That it's very possible to set down that shield of faith and just be so pelted by the darts of the enemy that Satan can say, do you honestly think he cares? And you set down that shield for a minute and you go, does he? If he did, would I be dealing with this? If he did, would I be suffering through this? If he did, would I be in this amount of of pain or need or struggle? If he cared, would I really be dealing with it? Is there a point to praying? Absolutely there's a point. That God cares about your prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray somewhat often when you have the chance. (laughs) No, it says pray without ceasing. It says don't quit. Don't quit. Now, ask yourself, if Paul said pray without ceasing, why do you think he felt the need to say pray without ceasing? Because what is our tendency? To cease. He had to take the time to tell us. In Matthew 10, 29-31, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Remember, God's got the big cosmic baby monitor on you. Do you think He's not paying attention to you? Do you think He doesn't see every little tiny thing? Uh, Do you think He doesn't know where that scrap of paper is? 
Do you think he doesn't know where the bus is on its route? Do you think he doesn't know where your next paycheck is? Do you think he doesn't know what the cells in your body are doing? Do you think he doesn't know what's going on in your house at your job? Do you think he doesn't know? Of course he knows. Absolutely he knows. See, I've started to think sometimes that babies are smarter than we are. Sometimes. About some things. I think babies are smarter than we are. And by the way, Jesus thought so too. If you don't enter heaven like a little child, you're not going to enter it. Heaven's made up of people like this. What's the difference between a kid and an adult? You know, if Margaret wants more chicken, mommy, more kicking, more kicking. If she wants more chicken, what does she do? You know, one of us might be the, I mean, we gave her a plate full of food and a bottle of milk, have fun, and, you know, you know, I'm doing my thing, Emily's doing her thing, and we we looking back over there at her because she's big enough she can feed herself now, and she's done, and there's no more food on the tray. And she quietly, calmly, respectfully goes, Mommy! And screams, and you can hear it throughout the whole house. And if, if Mommy goes, Mommy's busy, Dad! She screams, and I'm going there, What? Well, kick him. And hold your little plate up. It's like, baby, you scream that loud for something that small? Well, yeah, because if I want something, why wouldn't I ask? Because I understand I'm not going to get any of this on my own. You give me everything good that I get. So why would I not just call for you when I need something I don't have? But somehow we get older and we develop this cosmically blasphemous idea that we can take care of ourselves. And so we stop asking for the things that we need because we're supposed to be self-sufficient. We can handle this. Jesus, don't worry. I am mature now. I've got this, God. You don't need to waste your time on me. Kids are smarter than we are. When we need something from God, ask Him. Yell like a baby if you have to. Because compared to God, that's what you are. You can provide nothing. And God says, pray without ceasing. See, kids do that instinctively. They don't stop. (laughs) But we don't. Y'all, God's got a lot better nerves than, than, than we do. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but we, we're of more value than many sparrows. That God wants us to call out to Him without ceasing when we need something. And then second, prayer is in a pleasant aroma to God. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then another angel having a golden censer. Censer is just a fancy word that means fire pan. Now, we don't generally have incense or altars in this church right like if you come up here we don't have anything that does that in here about the only things we have because we're baptist and we have good reasons for having what we have and not having what we don't we've got a pulpit which by the way y'all know that that y'all do know that there's a reason this room is organized the way it is there's a traditional reason it is that this is in the middle 
The communion table's in the middle, right? Because the, the communion of God's people together as a body is, is central. This, this is where we testify that only believers are members of a church and that we're united around the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the communion table is central, but it's below the pulpit because what sits on the pulpit? The Word. The Word is central. It's right here in the middle. That's why everything else surrounds it. But then behind me, we've got the baptistry and the cross, which is to tell you, above me is, is Christ. But what we don't see here, we don't have censers, we don't have fire pans, we don't have incense, we don't, we don't have any of that. Well, why not? Well, because this is not a temple. This is a temple. This is not. So that's why we don't have that here. But is heaven a temple? Yes! What do you mean heaven's a temple? The throne of God is there. Wherever God is, wherever God makes His residence, that is a temple. And if it wasn't one, it became one when He got there. That's why when the Holy Spirit indwelled us, Paul began to say, do you not know that you are temples? That God now dwells in us. Heaven is a temple because God dwells there. So it's not shocking to find in heaven that you have temple furniture. The angel comes with a golden censer, it's a fire pan, and came and stood at the altar. Where's the altar? Where it always is, before God. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne incense has a history in the Bible of being used in worship and being symbolic of prayer. This is not on your handout, but listen to Psalm 141, 1 and 2. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Incense also shared some of the attributes of prayer. This is from Exodus 30, also not on your handout, 34 through 38. And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacte and onica and galbanum and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle. Interesting, isn't that exactly like what you see happening in Revelation? That the altar that the incense was burned on was before the Ark of the Covenant... Now granted, there was a veil between them, but it was before the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God met with His people. The incense is before the throne in Revelation. The incense is before the Ark and the temple. Same thing. <clears throat> Put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I'll meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. God doesn't take kindly when people pray to other gods. God doesn't take kindly when we replace praying to him with going and seeking other people. God doesn't take kindly to it when instead of praying to Him, we seek ourselves. That prayer is a pleasant aroma exclusively to God. It's not an inconvenience or a nag. It's an exclusive right that He takes very seriously and personally. 
He enjoys hearing His children pray. Listen to this. Matthew 6, 5 and 6. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. They're offering their incense to other people. They want other people to smell it and to see it and to experience it. But God says, no. Jesus says, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly that God says your prayer belongs to me and me only because I want it. I enjoy it. It is a pleasant aroma to me. You are not nagging me. You are not an inconvenience to me. God loves you, but did you know that He also likes you? He's not tired of you. Then I'm going to flip back to Luke 11. You've got 11.13 on your handout, but I want to read the couple of paragraphs that come before it so that you can get it in context of Luke chapter 11. My pages are sticking. They're not helping me. Luke eleven five says, Which of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Can you imagine if somebody came and knocked on your door at 3 in the morning and you have three kids under the age of 5 in bed and they woke all three of them up and you went to the door and said, what on this holy and wonderful creation of God known as the planet Earth are you doing knocking on my door at 3 in the morning? Well, my family just got in from a long trip and we're baking a cake. Can I borrow some sugar? It's three in the morning. Yes, and you're my neighbor. May I borrow some sugar? You woke all my kids up. Yes, may I borrow some sugar? If you will leave me alone, I will send the whole bag with you. Thanks. Now, you didn't give it to them because they're your neighbor. You gave it to them because you wanted them to leave you alone. Jesus said, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it'll be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? His point is that, hey, you know how your friend was annoyed when you knocked on the door and asked for sugar? When you showed up at your father's house at 3 in the morning asking for sugar, he already had it measured out in a cup waiting for you, and he wants to go help you. He was just waiting on you to come knock on the door he's not annoyed with you he's a good father 
When you ask Him for a fish, He's not going to give you a snake. When you ask Him for bread, He's not going to give you a rock. When you ask Him for an egg, He's not going to give you a scorpion. Because He's a better Father even than we're parents. That God is waiting and eager to hear you and answer you. Your prayer is a pleasant aroma to Him. It's not an inconvenience. It's not a nag. And then finally, almost most importantly, prayer is preparation for a move of God. Prayer is preparation for a move of God. Verse 3, or excuse me, verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So the incense has risen before God that the angel put on the altar that God has enjoyed and listened to and paid attention to the prayer of His saints. But then I like to think that the thunderings and the lightnings are almost God taking His hands, which I know this is an anthropomorphism. God is, is spirit. God the Father, does, the Bible mentions Him as having hands, but um, He's spirit. He's not flesh and blood. I almost imagine God taking His fingers and going, all right, it's time to get to work. Because the prayers have been lifted the prayers have been heard and the angel takes the fire from the altar and flings it to earth and there's lightning and thunder and rumblings and that tells everybody every time you see it in the book of Revelation that God is about to act. He's about to do something. And that's in response to those prayers. Think about this. In Revelation 6, 9-11, through 11, when He opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until You judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And God says, Just a little bit longer. But then you fast forward to chapter 8. The prayers have been heard and just a little bit longer has arrived. That God's about to move. These saints who had come out of the tribulation, these saints who have been slain, that these folks have been praying to God for justice, and God says, your justice has arrived. I'm going to answer your prayer. That prayer is not merely a gap filler here. It's not something you do that's just merely therapeutic. It's not a waste of time that God pays careful attention to the prayers of His children. But prayer, y'all, is kind of like an umbrella when you hear that... uh, it ought to be like an umbrella when the weatherman tells you it's going to rain. Uh, when you believe that it's going to rain, what do you take with you when you walk out the door? You take the umbrella. If you pray for rain and don't turn on the weatherman, do you carry an umbrella? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm just asking This is for you to think in your own mind. If I pray for God to do something, do I actually believe He's going to do it? If I pray for God to respond and, and, and move, if I pray for God to work, not something for my will, but something for His will. Stapleton, when you pray for God to revitalize this church and bring people here, do you pray in hopelessness or do you pray believing He's actually going to do it? Because James tells me if I pray in doubt, then I'm a double-minded man, unstable in all my ways, and I ought not to expect to receive anything. When these saints prayed for justice, they believed that God is a God of justice and He was going to do it. When we pray, do we believe God's going to do it? 
Exodus 22, 22 through 24. Uh, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. God told them in Exodus, He said, be very careful about mistreating people. And His reason for being careful about mistreating people is because He said, get this, this is one of the scariest threats. God says, be careful how you treat people because they might pray. That should tell you something about the fact that God's listening. Be careful about how you treat people because they might pray. And I'll hear them. And I will swiftly give them justice. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the lady who went to the unjust judge and kept going after him day after day after day after day after day asking for justice. And the unjust judge says, because of her persistence, I'm going to decide her case. God said, Jesus said in Luke 18, 7 and 8, that was just an unjust judge. What about the, the good judge of all the earth? Shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him though He bears long with them? I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? When you pray to God, do you believe He's going to move? Because Hebrews 11.6 tells us we should. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is... If you don't believe that He is, it's hard for you to pray to Him. And if you, won't, if you don't believe there's somebody on the other end of the phone, it's silly to talk to them. Right? If you believe God's there, you can pray to Him. But you can't just believe that He's there. You have to actually also believe that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. In other words, you have to believe that He's a God not who hears prayer, but hears and answers prayer. So what about you, Stapleton? Most of y'all in here are my regulars. Okay? D during, during the invitation, I'm going to entertain the possibility, the statistic likelihood actually, that there are some of you in here who don't know Christ. But let me present God to you as someone differently maybe that you've imagined Him before. That God is actually somebody who cares about every little tiny minuscule facet of your life. And He wants to be a father to you. So you can cry out to you at any time about anything and know for certain that He's hearing and answering. He wants to be that for you. But right now sin is an issue for you if you don't know Christ. That you need to repent of that and you need to come to Him in faith and say forgive me and make me part of your family. He will do that today. He will hear that prayer. I want to extend that offer to you that you can come to know Christ today if you never have. You can come down the aisle and talk to me during our invitation song and say, Pastor, I want to know more about becoming a Christian. Um, I, I'll be glad to set up the time to talk with you more about that. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin and put it in the offering plate when it comes by. Uh, we'll follow up with you or you can catch me at the back door. But I want to talk to those of you who already know Christ right now. When you pray, how seriously do you believe that God is going to respond to you? Is prayer something that you do just to do it? Or when you pray, do you actually believe God is going to move? 
There's, some, there's nothing that God can't do without prayer, but there are some things that God won't do without it. God is waiting. What, y'all, what if God's waiting on us? What if He's waiting on us to very seriously say, Daddy, we need more. What if He's waiting on that? This invitation for you is a chance for you to call out to God for something that you need, that this church needs, that your family needs, and actually believe that God's going to do it. So I'm going to pray. If you need to come, you come. If you need to pray, you pray. Father, thank you so much, uh, Lord, for the opportunity to study your word, Lord, and to get together and pray. Lord, I pray that this church would, would be even more of a praying church than it already is, that we would take very seriously uh, prayer. Uh, Lord, that we would make make a, 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 a concerted effort. We're going to be here on Sunday night together because that's when we pray more than any other time of the week. Lord, that we're going to put a priority on prayer in our own personal lives. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who don't know you. Lord, I pray that their seat would be the most uncomfortable it's ever been. And that they would feel the need to call out to their Heavenly Father to forgive them and save them. Lord Jesus, we trust you to do what you need to do in our hearts this morning. And we don't want to multiply words because you know what it is we need. It's in your name. Hymn number 307. Let's stand, please. this day, Father. We, we're grateful, Lord, that that, uh, that you hear us, Father, when we pray. Father, give us the uh, give us the courage, Father, and the, and the faith, Lord, to pray uh, in, in keeping with your will, Father. Uh, we ask you, Lord, now to bless the gift and the giver. Uh, and give us the wherewithal, Father, to use the, uh, the these offerings, Father, uh, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.